Did you ever see Dune? No. Okay, so no, but I think I haven't seen it because I want to go to the theater to see it. Yeah, you've got to go to the theater to see it. It's like not like why watch that at home on a TV when right, the don't point do that. is to not do that. I um, heard that it actually is good. I mean, it's giving I, okay, well, I haven't seen it, so I have no clue, but I'll tell you exactly <laughs> what it's like. <laughs> Please. <laughs> My name's Kenyon. Welcome back to We Love That. I'm Jerome, and in this, our 69th episode, we're talking all about... Wait, am I reading this right? Sports? Uh, No, and theater, too. We'll see. Good to be seeing you. I, Kenyon, it's November. <laughs> stop, stop. You can't just, att- with attacks right off so the bat. So what's up with that? Tomorrow is 2022. I hate to tell you. <sighs> I mean, okay. I love November, famously, because it's the Would best month. Would you say it's your favorite month? Best month of the year. It's not nothing to do with favorites, really, here. It's just about when you look at the months and what they offer you. November has uh-huh. a lot going on. I wouldn't say a lot. Oh, no. Exceedingly and abundantly. More than you could ever imagine. Name five things. Well, we've got Thanksgiving. Incredible. Food. Love it. We've got... We can finally just go to Christmas now. You know, like Christmas... (laughs) Christmas is in fair game. Once you cross into November, Christmas music... Put up a decoration or two, get into the season, etc. You know, they're they're saying this was the year that the Christmas creep has officially passed Halloween. They are saying that, and I think that that's uncouth. I would agree. <laughs> I would um, agree. It's really taking it away from, from November. Right, also. which is not right. Um, you have, you know, in the afterglow of Halloween, you have All Saints Day, the 1st of November. In a, okay. In an important moment. For many around the world. For many? (laughs) (laughs) What am I at? Three. Okay, you have, like, October, sometimes, you know, you're like, ooh, I kind of want to, like, hang on to these moments of sunshine, to this weather, that it's slipping away. But once you get into November, it's like, let me bring out my fall-colored sweaters, my scarves, a mitten, a jacket. Let me get a booty, a boot. (laughs) A, A single mitten. (laughs) <laughs> One booty and a different boot, <laughs> in addition to the booty. Yes. Right, right. Okay. Um, so clothing is really, takes on a different character. We wear clothes in November, I see. Absolutely. Um, and then lastly, the international holiday of my birthday. Hmm. So that's five things, just as you asked for. Well, you got me there. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. I'm in such a mood. Goodness. Um, Kenyon, there is an international day of recognition that is coming this November, which which will be the release of Adele's album. Did you see that the 
track list has been released. I did not see. See, this is what now this <laughs> is what we do here on this podcast. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. We're gonna go track by track. I wanna hear your let's make some predictions, okay? Ooh, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, right off the bat. Track number one. First of all, 12 tracks. Mm. Three Target Deluxe tracks. Uh, okay. Target's really somehow. How do they do it? Held on to that. How do they do it? And how like, are they the only ones? I don't I don't know. I don't understand. But it's, I mean, way back, TBT to the Beyonce 4. The four. Target yes, I, I got the Target <laughs> exclusive from a 4. I purchased that. Yes. Because it's it still carries weight, <laughs> even in these digital times. Correct. Um, okay, track number one, Strangers by Nature. Ooh, that's giving, like, mystery with a slight beat. It's going to be great. That one's going to be great. I'm going to love that one. Well, that one, the, the writer credited with Adele is Ludwig Gurensen. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, who's Wait, like giving I love composition. Him. Yeah, who's giving Rocky? Who's giving? Uh, uh, he did the Mandalorian. He did Mandalorian. Some of I was gonna say some Star Wars stuff. Black Panther, I think he did, and he also did Childish Gambino's album. He did Redbone. He like is very good. Work well. That's the first one. Okay, okay, okay. Then we have Easy on Me, classic already. <laughs> Have you listened to it since the last time mm. we talked about it? Mm. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we have track three, My Little Love. I'm probably going to skip that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they say don't judge a book by its cover. And that's what we're doing. Well, this. let me not say what I want to say. Okay. Track four, Cry Your Heart Out. I mean... <laughs> it's giving sad, but I do also think it's a skip. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Thanks. Okay. Track five. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. So a cover of of the Usher song. <laughs> Gee, by Usher and <laughs> Will I Am? <laughs> I'd be oh, here for that. Oh, my God. I can't even believe. I would be here for that. Okay. Now, this this one's interesting. Can I get it? But co-writers, Max Martin and Shellback. Okay, so this was on the, like, dance pop album that got yeah. scrapped, that got, yep, or, yep, you know, yep, 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 yep. pushed. But it was like, oh, we can put that on this project. Yeah. And I'm ready to dance. Absolutely. That's all I can say. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, this is the one that that really has the people talking. Track seven, I Drink Wine. That is going to be an anthem. People in the think? streets. If it's if it's at all like singable, if it, if the hook is like able to be grabbed a hold of, and it's about drinking wine, yeah, you're right. It's you're right. Going, like we will never not hear that song on a Friday. You're night. right. You're right. Um, okay, track eight. We have all night parking with the classic jazz. Pianist Errol Garner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that one's going to end up being my favorite. Well, you know Errol Garner. Right. 
the writer of my favorite song, <laughs> which is Misty. <laughs> wow. Maybe there's a little sample in there. I, Kenyon, if there is a sample of Misty on this album, it'll be over for me. Yeah. It will be over for me. <laughs> over. Very good. Okay, track nine, Woman Like Me. Ooh. See, this is re- reminding me very much of season two of Glee, Loser Like Me. See, that's what I that's what I think. I think, you wanna be, you wanna be a woman like me. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I cannot believe. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> Are we, we have, being rude? Is this actually no, that's terrible? what this is for. We have track 10, Hold On. I'll love it. Uh-huh. I see that for you. Yeah, right. Track 11, To Be Loved. Mm, I think that one's like imminently coverable. Like it's not going to be good. Not not going <gasps> to be good. It's going to be great. It's a deal. It's going to be great. But it's not going to be like, I'm not going to go back to it, but someone else is going to cover it. And then it's going to be like, did you hear... So-and-so did a cover of To Be Loved? I think it's going to be The Sleeper. I think it's going to be The Sleeper. Because I also feel like this position on her albums often is, like, not what people first think of, but or, like, not what people first gravitated to when the album first came out, but in the end was the one. Like, on the last album, the penultimate track was All I Ask, famously. Um, on 21, the penultimate track was Love Song. Okay, well, maybe that doesn't really hold true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and final track, track 12, Love is a Game. Mm. I don't know what to say about that one. I think she's sad. Oh. Oh. Or maybe it's like Love is a Game and I'm ready to play. <laughs> It'll probably, it, it might do like a, it might do like a start, it starts that way, but then it ends like, I did play and then I was played, you know? Well, I, w- I was going to say, what if it's, what if it's, if love is a game, why am I getting played? Ooh, How about ooh, that? Ooh, ooh. Get me in the studio. <laughs> uh, what's like the average length of the tracks? Does that tell you that? Do, we don't know yet. Oh, wow. We don't know. Um, okay, the three target tracks. Track 13, Wild Wild West, which I presume, of course, is a Will Smith cover. <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, number 14, Can't Be Together, which naturally would be a parody of We Belong Together. Clearly. And then possibly the thing I'm most excited for, Easy On Me with Chris Stapleton. Whoa. Whoa. Like that, Chris Stapleton is a good singer. Yeah. I'm wait what so I'm kind of that's gonna be good no it's gonna be good but I'm also like should that am I gonna like that more than the one that we have like should it just should it have been. been a different lead single and then this just be the track on the hmm, something to think about I mean something to think about target target deluxe tracks are always kind of coming in with something you need no that's true <laughs> and something you love <laughs> <laughs> wow, we are really back here today. We are. And we've we already are. we're just diving right in. This was our moment for the world. Indeed. 
what else are you seeing out there in the world? Hmm. Oh, famously, it was Halloween. Ah. Did you have a costume? No. no. <laughs> Where did you? Did any trick or treaters come to your home? No. Zero. <gasps> really? None. That's crazy. I mean, we don't live on like a through street, and so it's like we don't get a lot of people usually. But I kind of was. I was like, maybe because it's, you know, because some people think the pandemic is over. We're going to get a lot of trick-or-treaters of like, a, sure. you know, like Halloween is back. No, that did not happen <laughs> in our neighborhood. Crickets. Crickets. It was giving crickets. <laughs> yeah. Were you out and about? Um, I was in New York. Ooh. Evaded death. <laughs> As we For do now. every year on Halloween. <laughs> Yes, I went to a, a party of gays. Classic. Which is why I said I evaded death. <laughs> well, it's if it's going to be anywhere, it's going to be there. That's where it's going to be. That's where it's going to be. Um, and then I don't think, I mean, famously last year, we went through all of my favorite Halloween candies, much to your disappointment. Very good. Um, but what would you say is your favorite Halloween candy? I mean, Reese's, probably. Peanut butter cups? Yeah. How do you feel about a peanut butter pumpkin? No. Not that it's pumpkin flavored, just that it's in the shape of a pumpkin. Or a bat? No, because the cups, the form of the Reese's is part of what makes it so great. Wow. I think they're, I think they're really works of art. Wow. Fascinating. <laughs> We don't have enough time to get into that right now, but you know, another <laughs> okay. episode we'll devote an episode to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else in the world you're? <laughs> well, I'm laughing at um, at Meta. <laughs> I'm glad you can find it in yourself to laugh <laughs> because I don't uh... feel moved to laughter. I feel moved to. <laughs> Violence. <laughs> <laughs> I can you believe that it's real? Can you believe that it's not a joke? He really is like, we're gonna be in the metaverse. Which to me, what's the first thing that you think of when you hear metaverse? I'm comic books. Exactly. Like I think literally like MCU meets <laughs> Wreck It <-Rout. laughs> Ralph. See, that's why it's comical to me because it's like see, you just took this thing that we've all been, you know, fantasizing about in not a great way. Like the metaverse is never a, it's never like a good right. thing. It's like it's oh, giving iRobot, giving, <laughs> um, etc. Right. I feel like this always happens with science fiction, where people, science fiction writers and storytellers, like tell stories and they're like. You know, if we continue on this path or, you know, if we were to, you know, do this thing that we're currently doing just to on a bigger scale, it would be terrible in these ways. And that's why I'm writing this story. But then people <laughs> read them, watch them. They're like, wow, the technology of the future is going to be amazing. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. That's specifically not the point. <laughs> it's, it's literally like a foreboding warning. <laughs> and billionaires are like, ooh, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> A tragedy. That's a good idea. 
tragedy. Ooh, putting all the putting all the humans into different classes. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's bad. Then, like, I mean, not to. I want to be careful because there's a lot that there's a lot that we've learned about like becoming very accessible through the pandemic. Mm. Um, and I don't mean to like erase accessibility, but the idea of like now you can hang out with your friends without ever seeing them again is like, no, I want to see, like, I want to go see them though. I don't, when Mark Zuckerberg is like, you can go see a movie and it's like you're sitting next to your friends, even though you're not with them. It's like, ew, (laughs) I don't want to do that. I very much feel that. I mean, underneath the me laughing of it all. It is like a, I would like to still have my body, you know, like I'd like to still know what right. that's, I'd like to know how to work it, how to use it, how to live yeah. in it and not just like sit my body down and go live my life in my head online. It's giving Wally. Wow. Mm. 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 I <laughs> don't know about this. So did you read the statement that he put out? You sent it to me and I could not get through it because it's not right. For anyone who doesn't know <laughs> um, <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> there, so there's Facebook and then there's there's Facebook, the app, and then there's the company Facebook, which owns Facebook, the app, and also Instagram and WhatsApp, et cetera. And so Facebook, the company, has changed its name to Meta, M-E-T-A. <laughs> Kenyon is laughing once more. <laughs> it's just like, that's, that's so funny. It's so crazy. In the like founders letter that was put out, there's a bunch of, my dad called it techno babble, which I think is the word. <laughs> techno babble. <laughs> my favorite genre of music. <laughs> um, but there's one sentence in there. I'm taking it out of context completely. But it's more funny that way. He literally okay. wrote down, we'll need to make sure we don't lose too much money along the way, though. And when I read that, I was shocked. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're giving it all away, dude. You're giving it all away. You, Did- like... But on it, I mean, this is kind of a serious turn, but it's, like, remember when, like... Remember our previous president and that he would like say stuff and do stuff and it wouldn't be a scandal because he just would say it. Literally, (laughs) literally that. He'd be like, yeah, I said that terrible, horrible thing. And like, that's what this, he's like, well, actually, we're going to control all of your interactions on the internet. Um, Your interactions with your friends will now purely be mediated by us and we're using it to make money. How does that sound? (laughs) The thing is that that's exactly what you need to say to get people to think your company is good. If you say even, our company's going to make a lot of money, it's like that's a great company. So they're like basically even like worse, <laughs> they're playing like, the rule. There are people who are like, "Oh, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, he's a genius. He's the future." Like and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. He's bad. He's bad." <laughs> He's literally bad. Then the idea that like, I don't, clearly to me, it is clear that they were trying to do this to like take the 
press away from these horrible, awful stories and the congressional Facebook hearings papers. that are happening. The, the Facebook papers. And Miss Thing is now going on her international tour, talking to all these <laughs> governments about what Facebook does, how they are ensuing division, how they know that they are bad and are continuing to be bad in order to make money. And the idea that they thought, oh, let's announce this change because it will take people's attention away. If anything, it made me angrier. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, no, I don't want you to be in control of more things. You're doing this Absolutely ar- terribly. Absolutely not. It's bad. Break it up. So, anywho, meta. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Well, speaking of large media companies that flop. <laughs> <laughs> We famously on this podcast in the past have said that Netflix is over. <laughs> Netflix is over party. However, there's some there's some Netflix topics for us to discuss today. This is true on this day, on this particular day. Mhm. Um I watched the the new little Colin Kaepernick Drama mini series <laughs> thing, and thing. I told you to I told you to watch it, and I oh yes, you <laughs> and I and I didn't say what I thought about it, just that I couldn't stop watching it. Now that it's very <laughs> interesting that you would say that, because as I was watching it, there were many moments when I wanted to stop watching. <laughs> And here, now let's say this to begin with. I historically am a huge Colin Kaepernick fan. Right. And it, who else is making this? Ava DuVernay. And Ava DuVernay. Well, famously, Ava said well, that thing last summer. And so it was like, oh, I don't know if I really can stand you anymore because I be saying some crazy about shit. that. See, and that's why it's okay that we're going to trash this project today. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so glad. So. It's a mix of a documentary narrated by Colin Kaepernick. He's on screen. As well as um, a sitcom based right. on his life. Right. Six 30-minute episodes on Netflix. And it is like co-created, co-conceived by Colin Kaepernick and Ava DuVernay. The title of it is Colin in Black and White, which is maybe where we should start. Sure is. That (laughs) sure is the title. (laughs) I took so many notes. I took a lot of notes. Wow. I'm I give them to me. The first thing I wrote down, I wrote, Colin is not the actor, which (laughs) which unfortunately is true. Um, I later wrote who in this is an actor? <laughs> um, everyone's giving, even if acting is far from, you know, what we're giving, performance is still, we're, we're seeing performances. We're seeing performances of all kinds. True. Of all kinds. <laughs> Something else I wrote down in the, first, in the first episode. Now, see, I knew that Colin Kaepernick had siblings. And I wondered how many episodes it would take for them to mention this in 
in any way at all. Mm -hmm. And I think it (laughs) took them until the fifth or sixth episode. (laughs) When his brother comes in at the end to help him make some uh, some videos. Exactly. And and send them out to all the colleges. To burn some DVDs. Yes. (laughs) Which you Um, need a whole, you need an outside team for that. For sure. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there just were so there were so many things. So part of it you you talk. I, I I wanna I feel like I should preface some whatever we're about to say with I honestly work Colin Kaepernick in in many ways, you know, as a being out in the world. Yes. Um, and I there was something irresistible for me about watching this, but I'm not quite sure it was in a good way. I'm not quite sure it was healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I I was going back and forth. So there were parts, there were parts of it where I was like, hmm, I don't care about football. <laughs> and this is really about football. And not like, I can watch it, like, I watch sports documentaries all the time. But... Like, really what it comes down to for me is that if I'm watching a thing about Colin Kaepernick, I think there is so much that is interesting about his life. And I would say the thing that is least interesting about his life is his his baseball career in high school. It just was like, this is not what I want to hear Colin Kaepernick's musings on. Like, I thought the most interesting parts about it were the very beginning when they compare... Uh, oh my the, gosh. like football tryouts to a slave slavery auction. I thought that was very interesting, and I wanted to I wanted them to say well, more about that. That was giving ex- extremely heavy handed and also no no like follow up detail nuance. Right. Well, I was like, ooh, please, like, please tell me more about that because it was extremely heavy handed. I will agree. And it was very, it was like, I don't know that this is all necessary, (laughs) but then they didn't do anything. It was like, they introduced that and then didn't do anything with it. Then the next most interesting part was literally the end when he was writing the letter to himself because it just was like, Oh yeah, I'm hearing like your reflection on you as a public figure. Like when he's talking about people are not going to want you to be the quarterback, they aren't going to want you to be the leader, but you are going to be the leader in the way that you are called to be. Like, that is what's really fascinating and, mm. like, what I am interested to hear about and was not what the series was about. They they took, like, three episodes to explain... Not three, but, like, it felt like three to explain what microaggressions are. Yes. Um, and that seemed like a... Like, that was on their checklist of like this is what we've got to get across to the public which (laughs) brings me to a question of audience wow because i cannot figure out who this is for Mm. Mm. and today i was talking to my boyfriend mike who said he was like well netflix hey mike um (laughs) netflix is giving big wild he was like what if it were on a different platform? What if it were on Hulu or on HBO Max? Like, would that be given, like, would it be able to be more specific? Is the fact that it's on net, like, is it falling into the Netflix trap of trying to be really broad? Oh, interesting. Which had some resonance to me. 
I think in some ways it is. I mean, from the creators, I think it was like, I think they were trying to talk to like people who feel, there was a, a slide, a card about this, a card. There was a moment at the end where this, it, it flashes across the screen, like to all the underrepresented outcast. Yeah. Something. And I think like from a creative standpoint, like that m- might be who they were trying to to talk to. I think yeah. from like a production house standpoint, I think Netflix was like, how do we get people to see this and stay on our platform? Yeah. Yeah, it just felt too... There were parts of it that felt too basic for adults, but too like too mature and complicated for children. Not not just in like the history, there's a lot of like historical documentary content and that's not exactly what I mean. I think just like the extremely complicated dynamics of like, I don't know. I like, I, I don't want to discount like, yes, we can say things to, to children. There just were like a lot of inside jokes that clearly were for adults. But then like, it felt like it was explaining things at a very like, at a level that was for, there was a lot of it that just felt like it was for children to watch, which Mm -hmm. I get sometimes is the point, but like, I didn't feel struck a good balance. Then there are parts of it that are like, that feel like they're explaining black experience and explaining microaggressions, like you said, to white people. But then there are so many elements of it that are like clearly inside jokes for, right. For people of color, for black people. Like when, (laughs) When, when they're doing like the little scenario of there's a little scenario of a a guy who has just been hired at a firm. It's a black guy and a, a white <laughs> like right. partner at the firm who is like saying all these microaggressions. Um, and at the end, they're like, "Oh, like the white guy is going to have to delete his tweets about all lives matter," which is like, "Ha ha ha!" But then they're like. And the black guy is also going to have to delete his tweets about All Lives Matter, which to me was giving, okay, sometimes black men are coons. And so that is literally hilarious. Like, <laughs> that was funny, but it was like, who else is getting right, that? Like, right, right, who's right. getting that joke, but also needed to watch the explainer on microaggressions? I don't, I don't know. And I think about somewhere in the middle of watching it, I just stopped trying to figure out, I stopped trying to like view it on its own terms, honestly. Yeah. Um, and it became a lot more personal, question mark? Hmm. Of like, here's the story of a person who grew up feeling like he didn't fit and yeah. uses, you know, is known for what his body can do and how other people yeah. uh, try to extract value from that, how he attaches his own self-worth to that and then grows past that, deals with that, et cetera. And that was like, oh, that's interesting, more relatable. It just, it used, it started to be a jumping off point for me to just think about my own experiences and not really like engage in <laughs> in what they were trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, I That's good. I don't want to deny that of you. <laughs> I I just felt like 
even in his own personal, so he's adopted by, he's mixed, I think, but is adopted, was adopted by white parents mm-hmm. um, who had two older children, but then I think I was doing, you know, I was doing some research. And so oh. they, his parents had two, uh, two other children who died very early. Um, and so they adopted Colin. Um, and so a lot of it is like, I just, I wanted to know more about like, okay, what is it like for this black kid who is raised by white parents? Not to like, there certainly was plenty about, okay, he's learning what it's like to be black because he's not learning it from his parents. His parents are, I actually have to pause to say that like, why was, not only was every white person in this a villain, which is not me saying like, not all white people are villains, but it's like every single white person, including and especially his parents, especially, were saying these incredibly harmful, racist, terrible things that then is never like. I'm like, how did you reconcile with your parents? Like, your parents called you a thug. Like, your parents made you shave your brain. Like, what's going on? <laughs> That and is exactly we what we're that? missing. That is exactly what we're missing. Because I want to know: Do you still talk to them? Because if this yeah. is an, in any way accurate portrayal of what it was like at home, like, first of all, you're kind of putting them on blast. So I was like, like <laughs> do they know that they're in this like this? <laughs> like, what is that relationship now? How is it working at all? It it was it was wild. To me. Many questions. It was wild to me. Then it also, like, there were parts when I was like, okay, yeah, sometimes, like, microaggressions sound like this. Like, sometimes people do straight up say, like, like he's at a hotel and, like, the manager of the hotel says, truly, randomly, out of nowhere, <laughs> you're one of the good ones. <laughs> sometimes people say that, but, like, do people say that? Like, you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> it, <laughs> that has never in my in my life happened in such a blatant way that it happened in it like someone you've never seen before just comes in from out of frame and is like you're one of the good ones and then walk and it's like what like what like is there any context for this but the the heavy-handedness did do something for me where it started to um recontextualize my own experiences of things that okay. were like a lot more nuanced, but like yeah. were extremely, were definitely microaggressions. Right. And I was like, oh no, this was like that. It wasn't as black and white. Well, call <laughs> Colin in black, black and white. white. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't as black and white, but no, this was, I did feel these things then. Just, I couldn't maybe see through all of the nuance and like all the, it was doing some excavation work for me or I was doing some excavation work through it. Well, that's the thing is that you really <laughs> gave it a good shout and <laughs> let it oh, awaken wow. some <laughs> reflection in you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but like, I wanted, it just was not, I wanted it to be far more nuanced and complicated. Not at all. Not at all. It was all about him being in high school. There was something... Okay, you said you were not here for the sports of it all. I kind of was like, 
oh, sports. I don't know anything about this. So some of those things that were probably really extremely basic for other people in the yeah. way that other elements of the show were, sure. were like, oh, I didn't know that you had to do this. Or like, what is it like? I'm like, I know what it's like to like audition for college. I don't know what sure. it's like to, to sure, sure, sure. you know, play sports and try to get into college. I think for me, it was the parts that felt like <laughs> I wrote at some point that it often felt like a commercial <laughs> and sometimes it felt like a state farm commercial, <laughs> but then other times it felt like a Nike commercial. And it's like, I don't, and those were the parts that were like, like when his freshman team is like winning the games, I'm like, okay, I don't really care about the French. Like, I don't, I know he's good at football. He's Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> so I don't need to know that like, then he led the freshman team to victory in a 10 minute montage. Like I can, I understand that. And then they only were seven and two, which is good, but it's not amazing. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, disclaimer, did either one of us play football in high school? Well, no, but neither of us were quarterbacks in the NFL. So <laughs> I think it's a bit of a different standard. <laughs> There is a, like, I'm telling the story to myself aspect of the whole thing. Where it's like, mm. I feel like this was an important project for you, Colin, to do for yourself. And yeah. work, maybe you got paid to do it. And I guess work, you are letting other people see it. But maybe the most important person... That, you know, the, the person who's impacted the most, who's the audience, back to your question, of this thing, I think it's him, mostly. Let me tell myself a, my own story and make it make sense. Yeah, I think that's a lot of it. But even that is like, it's just so abridged. Like, it just picks such a specific window, his four years in high school. And again, doesn't it, like, I want to know how the black kid who is a mate is a three sport athlete is um, is getting recruited by the Chicago Cubs for baseball goes on to be an an NFL quarterback like how this like amazing black athlete is raised by white parents and then goes on to be this like star activist and i feel like the connection just was not made yeah very much agree and so it's like, I don't, it just felt like they're, like, I in part want to agree with you if it had only been the sitcom parts. Mm -hmm. If it had been like Everybody Hates Chris and like just was, okay, this is what I, these were my formative years, right? But the fact that it then connects to all of these larger ideas and concepts, microaggressions and beauty standards, et cetera but does not make the specific connection to like, but what made you kneel during the national anthem and not stop to the point where now you like, can't even play in this profession where you were a fucking rock star. Like that's what's, that's what I want to hear about. So like, yeah, I like, I'm waiting for like the 600 page autobiography, you know, feel it, feel it. And I kind of had hoped that that's what this would be. But then it was not. Anywho, so maybe see it, everyone out there. 
<laughs> oh, and then the last thing I have to say before we move on to the other offerings from Netflix <laughs> is... Wow, yes. <laughs> the section that's like... The section that's like, oh, black people can only get something if it's white man approved. And I'm like, that's what I'm watching. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's no self-awareness here. <laughs> so that actually is a perfect... That is a perfect segue to talk about Netflix and just like, what who are, what are they making? What are they up to? Who's watching? Why do they think that this is what we want to see? Like, what algorithm is telling them that this is good? <laughs> right. I, th- I think it is... Tr- I mean, it makes... It is apropos that we brought this up in the original context of Facebook mm. because... Like, Netflix used to just be, like, if you wanted to watch something, you're watching it on Netflix. Like, it, like, filled that, it uniquely filled that need, right? Like, it used to be if you wanted to watch something, you turned on your TV and you were faced with what was there. And then suddenly it was like, oh, now I can watch whatever I want because this library exists and I have a subscription to it and I can just watch whatever I want for when I want to watch something. But now, obviously... Things have gotten out of hand. (laughs) (laughs) There are about a million and two different online libraries that you can have your little subscription to. So I think it has become very like clickbait. Like it is about like getting people to click and come back and and be engaging. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not that feels like the the most compelling invigorating content, responsible content to be promoting. Honestly, the responsibility. Um, I feel like so much of Netflix in-house content is based around some sort of like controversy. Yeah. Some sort of like you thought you knew, but you didn't know. Exactly. Yeah, we were talking about this. Um, About like conspiracy. Exactly. Um. Now, I'm not trying to say that, you know, you can be watching stories without any conflict. Not what I'm trying to say. But I feel like they're tapping on a certain, like, um, a certain anxiety, honestly, about, like, that that people are having in this time about, like, oh, these things that you thought you knew, you don't know anymore. The, yeah. You know, this thing that you thought was okay is problematic. This story yeah. that you thought was great that you were told, you know, and your history books, terrible. Um, which, like, is something we need to be doing in this time is re-examining, honestly. Right. But with some nuance and with some... Like, that's not entertainment. That's, yeah. like, with some history. Vision. <laughs> right. Right. And so there's this Untold series. Yes. Which is giving, broadly, what we were just talking about. Like, uh, stories that you didn't know that you knew. Untold right. behind the mysteries. Um, <laughs> literally behind the mysteries. And you asked me to watch Malice at the Palace. The one on the Malice at the Palace. I asked you to watch Malice at the Palace. I The real connection was, and I texted you this as I was watching the Colin Kaepernick, is because in Colin Kaepernick, in black and white, they really <sighs> assert that it is like, a response to Allen Iverson that the NBA is like, we are cut, like, 
there's a dress code. Like, we have to get rid of all this thug behavior, blah, blah, blah. Right. And not to say that Allen Iverson was not certainly the target of a lot of that criticism. And probably it, it seems a real hero and inspiration to Colin Kaepernick. But Malice at the Palace would lead us to believe that that was the reason why, or that that was the largest, like, instigator of right, the, right. the NBA trying to crack down on their quote-unquote thug image. <laughs> Again. And, I mean, the truth is probably somewhere, you know, in in the and space. It's like both of, right. both of these things happened and all of these people were unjustly... <laughs> yeah. You put upon um, by the media. Yeah. Malice at the Palace was an NBA game in 2004 between... Oh, God. The Pacers and the... Pis- the India, the Pacers and the Detroit, Detroit Pistons? Pistons. That's exactly what I said. Very good. I definitely think it's the Pistons. He played for Indiana. Okay, great. Reggie, right? <laughs> Yes, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> we love sports here on We Love That. We love sports. Okay. And if this you is take the nothing sports episode. Else, we love sports. <laughs> um, and it is in the context of a lot of different things. There's some beef between these teams. There are some players who are riled up and ready to go and going through some mental health stuff and trying to work out how to be in this very high-pressure, high-stress environment, which is playing in the NBA. Um, And basically what happens is that a fight breaks out between players and then the fight... There are spectators who become involved um, and in the end, it is... it, It... inspires this great backlash against like, oh, those thugs in the NBA, like they're making the league look bad. And uh, there were all of these, like there are all these consequences that were purely on these NBA players. Um, And this documentary is, makes the argument that actually it had a lot to do with the predominantly white fans who involved themselves in, in hitting and attacking and in the fighting between these players. Talking about these back-to-back, there are so many comparisons. I feel like the just the way they handle this event is so... Like, they they also tell all these backstories, everything that's leading up to this event, you know, back in people's histories. Um, But they centered around this, this event where the Colin Kaepernick you know, miniseries, like there, there is an event there, like you were saying, like that we want to know about. And we are telling this backstory, but we don't like link it to the kneeling. We don't, we don't get there. This, uh, this look at this one event feels so, I loved, I love the way they, they did this documentary. It feels so layered and it kind of like shows you all these perspectives. Each, each layer of the situation could be its own series. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it feels so specific, right? Like it feels like it captures so many things so specifically, which I feel at the end of the day is like what we all loved about Netflix, right? Is that it was like, oh, I can watch this show that is like this one particular niche and it has these characters or these storylines or these topics and like 
I can't get that anywhere else. And network television can't afford to do that because not enough people are going to watch it. But on Netflix, right. anybody can watch, you know. So it, it feels like that is that is the streaming service at its best, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. when it can capture this unique story that tells, that talks about so much as opposed to, as opposed to trying to pick a lot of themes and put them into one series. Right, right. As like, I very much agree with you, but I was watching it with my dad and he almost was like, oh, I don't want to watch this. Like, this was on for so long. As a person who actually watches sports and who was, you know, (laughs) slightly more sentient than I in 2004. Yeah. He was like, oh, I remember all of this and all the news coverage and how it ate up the entire season. Like, I don't, like, do we have to slog through this story again? Um, Right. And so I think, like, for us, it is like, wow, look, you've, like, captured this event and, like, go Netflix. I think for him, it was like, okay, Netflix made a documentary about this thing that happened not too long ago that was controversial in all the ways that everyone alive knows. So. Right. Yeah, I, when I was telling my dad about it, he also, I was like, wow, it's this great documentary (laughs) and it opens up. And he was like, oh, yeah, uh (laughs) uh-huh. Like, you know, he, because he was there. It feels very, like... American crime story impeachment, right? That like a story that was so the center of what everyone was talking about. Like now for people who weren't paying attention, I guess Malice at the Palace is different because you could not pay attention to it. Whereas the impeachment impeachment of Bill Clinton was giving everyone was paying attention. (laughs) But like for people who were not there because they were not alive, um, it's giving... (laughs) Because they were not alive. Wow, like, look at this crazy story. Right. Similarly to the other American crime story, to the OJ, it's like, at the time, that was the only thing that anyone was paying attention to, though now it can find this new audience. Mm, as you said that, I, like, got a little feeling. I'm wary <laughs> of, like, how much this is all just for our entertainment. Yeah. You know, even the... This is terrible what they did to those players. Mm-hmm. How they, you know, put this whole event that was really a, you know, according to this documentary's portrayal of it, you know, it's like the fans are to blame, truly. Right. They put all the players, but it's like, is that just me feeling bad to feel something? Is this just like entertainment in another, well, by, by another word, by another means? Mm-hmm. I felt like it was such a, a specific story again like a specific story of an example of how the nba as an industry like appears to be this gateway for poor black kids to like really do something and like seize hold of their talent you know but in actuality is yet another like method of gatekeeping it's another opportunity for like black people to be kept in a specific bot like it it felt like it really tangibly explained that that narrative yeah yeah. in a way that the colin kaepernick series could have in that opening sequence that compared the football tryout to slaves on the auction block but just did not dig in to actually say something about that Mm. so i i felt like it there is something about like, oh, are, 
are we just asking these people who already, like these players who already had to go through so much in experiencing this, in experiencing all of these like consequences that were put upon them unjustly. Um, and now they have to like relive it for us to watch on Netflix. But I, I did feel like I got something specific out of it. Like I did feel like I got a, a I learned something from that story. I feel that. And I think in then the way they handled it too, there's that, there, that there's that part where Steven Jackson like speaks directly into the camera and is like, I don't want to ever have to talk about this again. Yeah. Yep. Which is like, I think a really, it's just very, a very clear way of like, this is me telling the story the way I'd like it to be told. And also yeah. this won't continue to just be what my life is about. Continue to be paraded about for people's consumption. Yeah. Um, and to kind of stitch that into the body of the documentary, I think was yeah important. That makes me think, that reminds me of um, Tina Turner after she wrote the book and then the book was turned into a movie. Mm. And people kept asking her about it. And she's like, I did this so that you would not ask me about this again. I do not want to talk about this. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. One of the layers that the Mouse at the Palace documentary gets into is the the media's portrayal of everything um, yeah. and, and how it kind of makes, it makes the story, you know, it's like they go into the locker room after this fight and it, it was a major fight, but also it was like, okay, well, we're going to lay low and this will blow over. But then it's like picked up and, and kept alive by this media storm enough so that the NBA yeah. then is threatened by the media attention. So they have to make huge, you know, examples out of these players. Right. Because their money's on the line. Right. But the NBA wouldn't even have felt like that. Not even the NBA, literally just the commissioner, just the one man. Exactly. Um, but they wouldn't have felt like that without all this media attention. Um, yeah. And it just has me thinking about where we put our, where we put our collective collective attention and how just that action like really changes things. Not even what we say about yeah. it, just like what we what we choose to look at and dignify with our attention. Um, yeah. Well, it, it's making me think of, and not that there's a whole lot to be said about this, but it is making me think about yet another black man depicted on Netflix, that being Dave Chappelle. Yes. Who like, I mean, I'm thinking again about like where we choose to put our attention, um, about who gets dragged into stories where it's like, like, like I, I'm thinking about the number of, trans people, trans activists, trans comedians, uh, queer comedian who like have, have been like, I, I don't want to have an, a, do not ask me about that. Like, right. It's bad. It sucks. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> like do, I have nothing. This other person is this extremely privileged person has decided to like create this hullabaloo, like to do this very attention seeky, attention grabbing special to say these things that obviously were intended to make people upset and intended to to create a media frenzy. 
and now we all have to be involved in in his thing just because he said it. Like, where where is everyone else's say in that? You know, right? Um, right. And uh, yeah, so that that just made me think about like, you know, the the ways that you know it's reality, reality television, reality entertainment. Like, we'd have turned everything into entertainment, but what does that do to the real people and the real lives that become what we consume? Ooh, the real lives that we consume. I mean, at the end of the day, at Malice, for Malice the Palace, like, certain players really lost out. Yeah. Like, of, of whole careers. Yeah. And on the other side of that, coin i think about this one spectator who's at the game who according to the documentary and also according to the police was yeah. kind of the reason why it, stuff got so bad right you know stuff was dying down it was a fight amongst the players and then someone threw a bottle from the stands at ron artest right I'm at a world peace. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and the attention that we end up giving that person, you know, the documentary cuts to like his 15 minutes of fame kind of like talk show moment of like, you know, do you feel bad about what you did? And he's like, no, I wish I had tripped people. He, he like gets yeah. his, he gets basically good attention. Right. At the end of the day for doing this horrible thing that has real life implications on a whole bunch of other people that aren't him. But the yeah. kinds of attention that we pay the different kinds of people in this story is very different. Yeah. And that that has so like, it, it makes sense that he would not be seen as a villain in the story because we are, we have, and I will say that the, the Colin Kaepernick series did put this well, like, we know what villains are supposed to look like, right? Like, right. There's, there's a cultural image of what a villain looks like, of what a thug looks like. And so, yeah, we just, like, we just have these cultural boogeymen. And so when something gets blown up into, okay, now we're consuming it, like, as, as though it's a movie, as though it's a, a screenplay that someone wrote to tap into these, these tropes that we already find familiar. Right. Like, that, yeah, obviously, like, does not leave space for people to be real people. Mm. Like, it, is there, I am left wondering, is there a difference nowadays with, let me get on my old person soapbox, <laughs> nowadays with reality TV and with social media, like, is there a difference between how we consume media about real people versus media that is totally constructed. Was there ever to like it was there once a difference between like, Oh, I'm like watching this movie or watching this, this TV show mm. or whatever. And I'm thinking about that in one way. And then I'm like reading a story or like watching an interview about a real person. And I'm thinking about that a different way. I, I think what we see is what we see, you mm -hmm. know? And like, becomes a part of us because we see it. Yeah. 
And I think it matters mostly how we see what we see. Yeah. You know, like, w- how are you going to, t- to take in whatever you're taking in? What kinds of attention are you going to pay it? But, like, I think if, you, if you're not going to differentiate about how you see things, then, yeah, stuff is all the same. Yeah. Be- like, the stories we tell ourselves are the things that become a reality. Yeah, that's true. So if you want to tell a different story, you got to see things a different way. You have to go out of your way to cultivate yeah. new ways of seeing things. Wow. Yeah. You're right. Sports. Girl, sports. <laughs> I wonder like what, um, like what is, what role does sports play in, in our culture? In our society? Well, it also feels like this... Sports... It, it feels like sports fits in in a unique way of the dichotomy that I just created because it is both entertainment and real life, right? Like, there was never a difference between... Like, like if I, if I was just trying to create a difference between, okay, things that are for entertainment and are for and are totally made up versus mm-hmm. like real life and real people that we pay attention to mm-hmm. like sports are both for entertainment and are also real life. Mm. Um, and so it just feels like a very like, you know, these are characters that we watch every week, but they are people who are playing the game, you know? Yeah. It, I think sports is a very heightened Wow, we're really painting with a broad brush. Sports. Yeah, exactly. Sports. <laughs> Sports. <laughs> but these kind of like big arena style, you know, NBA, NFL moments are very heightened versions of, of theater in some ways. Of like, let's all gather around and like watch this constructed drama. Like we've engineered a, a story or some protagonists and antagonists so that there's a, there's a conflict that we can safely watch play out. That's gonna, you know, it's going to help us out. It's going to do something. It's going to release some energy. Like what, why do we, and who, who gravitates towards sports and who gravitates towards other more theatrical, you know, modes of of doing the same thing. And what, what's their difference? Well, I agree that it's stories, but I think there is a really big difference in in its construction. Like I think I think that it that does really make it like does really make it different. Like mm. when I think about when I think about theater, obviously every every performance is a different performance and every, you know, but like there are there's much about it traditionally that is rigid and is the same. It is, it is the same characters who have the same affect and, like, say the same things and the same plot points happen mm. to have the same result. Whereas, and again, it's like someone who is not playing themselves. It is someone who is playing a different character. And so there's a separation between the actor and the role. And I think that in, like, these big entertainment we're all watching the arena sport like yes i think there's a difference between 
you know, between, I, I think that there is conceptually a different, there's one thing that is Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback that I see on my television screen. And there's Colin Kaepernick, the human being that is there being filmed mm-hmm. that is there playing football. Um, but like that just is so much harder to, to draw the line. Mm. To like find the difference between those two, those two people. Mm. I guess that's one thing that that both of these pieces pieces of film <laughs> <laughs> are doing, humanizing these yeah. people that we show up to watch in in a very kind of detached, ca- characterized sort of way. Sometimes, in in a very non-human way. Yeah. So you know, like it, both of these, I think touch are are trying to to do that work, trying to humanize the people that we just don't afford humanity because it's it makes the game more fun sometimes, maybe to watch. Yeah. Um, heightens the conflict. Yeah. May, heightens the conflict without heightening the stakes, right? Like, right. If right. they're not real people, then who cares? Mm. We can hate them. We can, they can be heroes. They can be villains. They can be gods. They can be the devil. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like what we put, we put all of that onto, onto athletes. Yeah. Of like, look at these like superhuman, like people who are just larger than life, amazing in a kind of like superpower, godly sort of way. And on the other side, like people really are out here riding outside of, Sporting events. Yeah. And inside Booing, of sporting events. Throwing things. Like, like these, these aren't people. Right. My dad at the, at the end of us watching was like, gave, gave like a, a reason that I've heard a couple of times of like, you know, s- sports helps us do this like proxy for all mm. these it's a it's a safer way to like play out these feelings that people just have, you know, these like yeah. kind of war feelings or or whatnot. And I while I hear that, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if it's a proxy or if it just capitalizes and magnifies those feelings to turn a profit. Mm. You know, like maybe those aren't well, things I- that we have to do. I think that that is the difference between like, I think there's something about sports games activity that capital, that is accessing that, that part of ourselves or a part of some people like that access that proxy or is that outlet. Mm. Um, but the, that industries are, different like industries are invested in a different thing yeah that industries are meant to capitalize literally <sighs> to turn into capital <laughs> <laughs> well Kenyon, i have a binary for you hit me uh the binary is between reality and fiction 100 percent fiction work deep fiction I'm here for the deep fiction. Um, 
I yeah. think I think I have to say reality. Really? I'm the real girl. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. I want to know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the cold hard facts. Exactly. Show me the car facts, in fact. Okay. <laughs> Is that what that Colin Kaepernick commercial was for? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, me, oh, my. Yeah, here it is. We've got sport and we've got theater. Oh. Sport and theater. I mean, well, I I have a gut reaction, mm. but I'm trying to think if there's something more there. Are you doing it for the sport of it? Are you doing it for the, oh. the theatrical value, the drama? Or you could be... You could be sporting a nice outfit, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> Theatering about. Theatering about. Um, I think, well, I've got to say theater. I hear you. I, I mean, I also, am, I'm going to say theater, actually, because wow. that's just what I have to say. I'm compelled. And that is a shocking twist. Those are my lines. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. And, and then it says fade out. Is that a like you? Oh, I'm not supposed to say that part? We love that you love, we love that. This podcast is brought to you by Jerome, that's me, and Kenyon, that's him. With music by Sophia Campomore and art by Griffin Keller. Drop us a line at welovethatpodcast at gmail.com. Bye! Nailed it. We nailed the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Cut the lights. And action. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>